Hi, I'm Allison Pease, Associate Provost for Institutional Effectiveness at John Jay College. Welcome to our Distinguished Teaching Series, in which we celebrate the innovative, student-centered teaching practices of our Distinguished Teaching Prize winners. In today's interview, I talked to Professor of Interdisciplinary Studies, Richard Haw. Professor Haw joined the college in 2002. I begin the interview by asking him what it means to win the Distinguished Teaching Prize 19 years into his John Jay career. I think the most meaningful thing is I think of myself primarily as a teacher rather than a historian or a cultural critic or um, anything else you might describe me as. And I tend to think of myself as being paid primarily to work with students rather than to write books, for example. And I know not everyone thinks that way at John Jay. And I think, I think I'm probably a bit wrong in thinking that because I think we are paid to be intellectuals and teachers and administrators and all sorts of things. But I tend to think of myself primarily as a teacher. So to win an award for your teaching is really incredibly sort of overwhelming almost. I wasn't trained as a teacher. Uh, when I was in grad school, I was sort of just plopped into a room and told to go on, teach, go teach these people. I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, but I've always wanted to be an effective teacher. Um, and I think it's especially the case since coming to John Jay. We tried to work really hard on it and we tried to think about it and tried to improve. Um, I tried to teach, think about what I did right and what I did wrong, try to change, tweak things, try, try doing it again. And so it's been a long, constant process of trying to improve and try to serve the students. This is something you actually mentioned in the materials that you submitted for review. You talked about your personal evolution in transforming as a teacher in multiple ways, right? Um, one of the ways that you talk about is transforming the content that you teach. So not just how you teach, but the content. For our listeners, can you explain how the content in your courses has evolved and um, if you will share Yasu and Ciso Dominguez's photo collage syllabus check, I thought that was a pretty interesting technique. As with all sort of things about teaching, especially at John Jay, the sort of watchwords are sort of pay attention. Um, and so I've taught loads of classes where students are just really not interested in the material. And I tend to think that the material is, is secondary to what you want to do with the material. So if you want to get to a certain place, um, try and think about ways in which you can use different types of texts to get there. And I think I've been very much persuaded, again, this sort of evolution over a long period of time, I've been very persuaded by the idea that students need to see themselves re represented in the classroom, in the college, in, in the reading material, in syllabuses in general. I've, I've tried um, to diversify my syllabi and tried to, to, to always try to get to the same place but use different types of voices. And I think often it proves to be a lot easier to get to different places with different types uh, of voices. So I've tried to pay attention to what my students respond to and what they don't respond to. Uh, and I've tried to create slowly over the years more inclusive, uh, diverse syllabi by thinking about that. And I think what is great about Hyazu's uh, assignment is, her assignment is, is really simple. You take all the readings from a syllabus and you find a photograph of all the authors and you create a collage out of it. Um, and so you literally have your entire syllabus visually represented in front of you. I did this with a few of my older classes, and it's amazing how many of them are just white men. And it's slightly embarrassing. Uh, but I did this as part of this teaching award thing, and I sort of looked at the evolution of a class I, I teach on travel and transformation. And I'm actually, I was really kind of struck by, without 
actually a lot of conscious thought how that photo card became more diverse in terms of not just the look of it, but the gender um, and other, uh, other types of ways to sort of mark or think about diversity. And the last time I taught it, and I, I hadn't even thought about this when, when I was putting together the syllabus, but there was almost an equal number of Caribbean, Latin American, uh, African, Middle Eastern, Indian, Asian authors, almost an exactly equal amount of uh, male and female authors. Um, and it felt good. I mean, the class went really well and it felt balanced. We have such a diverse student body that it's important to, for everyone to sort of have a little bit of themselves in there. Uh, so, so that they can respond to it. Yeah, so also in the materials you submitted, you talk about wanting students to, quote, find themselves in the material. What does that mean to you? And what does that look like in student work? Um, well, I think it probably means several things, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, on a sort of basic level, and perhaps not even in a terribly interesting way, uh, I want students to think about the way their lives and experiences intersect with the course uh, materials, whether the course materials are terribly familiar or not in, in their life experience. And I think that one of the ways you can sort of encourage that or get to that point is to really ask your students to be self-reflective. We want students to be self-reflective in their engagement with course materials and course goals. Uh, most likely we want people, you and I, to be self-reflective in our engagement with the world, as citizens uh, and people. And I think part of that is to ask students, to, to encourage students, uh, not just to answer, do you like this, do you understand this, but what do you learn from it? What sort of connections can you make between your, your understanding of the world and your, uh, and your experience of the world uh, with these perhaps very diverse course materials from all over the world and throughout history. And so I want students to think about ways in which they can engage with different time periods, different places of the world in terms that they understand and do that through self-reflection. And the larger point, I think, is to aim to have students develop a sort of sense of themselves as intellectuals and citizens, uh, to develop their own voice, to develop their own sense of themselves um, as agents, actors in the world, to become themselves, to find themselves in college, I suppose, um, so that they um, have a, at the end of college, have a full, fuller and richer sense of themselves as, as people. Um, and so that happens on the week by week basis. It happens in a course, hopefully, and it happens while they're at college. They're sort of growing up uh, into sort of active, young, intellectual citizens of the world. Can you explain what project-based learning is and how you have found it an effective teaching method? Um, well, project-based learning is more or less what it says it is. Um, <laughs> you, you devote an entire semester, uh, or you, you, you design an entire semester and structure it around a single project or sort of end result um, that all the course materials and classes are organized support, around supporting that. It can be a group project or an individual project, um, but everything in the course is sort of pointed in one direction, uh, and that is the creation of a, some significant and sustained intellectual work that you can usually present uh, in its final form. Maybe, maybe you could describe a particularly effective course project that you designed that 
you thought was interesting? Um, I, I, yes, I, I'll say that there. Are, I think I think there are sort of three parts to really effective project-based learning. Uh, one is sort of skills, skills building, and that's using lots of different skills. Um, I have this sort of hokey phrase I say with my students that college is gym for the brain. Um, and what I mean by that is that it involves a lot of using and exercising and repeating with and lots of different academic muscles or intellectual muscles. There's lots of things we ask our students to do. And to be a really good college student, you need to be able to do a lot of different skills really well. And so a good project-based class will involve lots of different types of skills. Um, So are you sort of doing close reading analysis of primary texts, complex primary texts? Um, Are you doing things like interviewing? Are you doing image analysis or analysis of things like material culture? And I've, I've done some of that in my in my classes. Are you working collaboratively? Are you conducting research into historical topics or into um, specific types of um, uh, specific types of um, activities? Um, are you doing presentation skills, putting together presentations? Are you writing sort of uh, well constructed uh, papers? Um, are using different types of knowledge. So a good project will involve students, you know, exercising uh, different academic muscles. They need to be really well scaffolded. I know scaffolding is the sort of technical, the, the word we all use for this thing, but yeah. I can think about it more as sort of like building a structure floor by floor. And so um, each section of a project needs to not just be related to all the others, but it needs to support each of the others. So you you, you create some like a, really a, a ground floor, and that supports the next floor, and that supports the next floor. And so you're really building a structure through various levels uh, as you move through the semester. And I think a really good project-based learning creates or sustains student engagement. One of the things that I, I really like about project-based learning is it allows students to take ownership of their work. You're not, they're not just being asked to ask, answer some sort of specific sort of intellectual question, but they're being asked to create something from the ground up. And I think that's really meaningful. But I'll give you two uh, examples of things I use um, in terms of uh, project-based learning. One's, I tend to think of project-based learning as inner-directed, which is sort of about people's personal histories, uh, or outer-directed, which usually um, asks them to think about a sort of social problem in an interdisciplinary manner. So I teach a class, a freshman seminar um, with David Green from sociology, who's a criminologist. It's a justice, it's a justice 100 freshman seminar class. And the uh, aim of the, of the class is to create a more just prison. It involves a lot of different moving parts. Um, we start off by thinking about justice and how you can define justice. So we look at utilitarianism. Uh, we look at deontological ideas, which is basically the idea that there is something more important than outcomes uh, when measuring justice. And we look at questions of human dignity, uh, which is a, a huge topic uh, in issues of justice and corrections and criminal justice right now. And we ask students, we put students into groups and we ask them to come up with five just principles on which their prison is going to be uh, based. Um, we then move on and turn those principles into a mission statement. And we look at mission statements for John Jay College, and we look at mission statements from uh, the Department of Corrections and all sorts of other mission statements. And so after really a quite a short amount of time, you have a sort of founding document for this prison and a series of principles that are going to sustain all the things you do in that prison. 
Um, and then we, uh, well, when, when it wasn't a pandemic, we took the students to see Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. Uh, last year, we just looked at it online and they did a tour online and everything. But Eastern State is the first penitentiary created in the U.S. And it is a wonderful example of constructing something from the ground up around specific principles. So all the services, all the architecture, all the rules and regulations, all of the correctional ideas are all in service to really one or two specific ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good example of how you can build uh, an institution in all its facets from literally the building, the architecture, through to its rules um, around principles. So we have that as a sort of guiding idea. And then the students go off and think about services. What sort of services are the prison going to have? Think about architecture. What's the prison going to look like? How do you most, how, how are you able to translate principles into physical structure? Um, what does a just prison look like? Um, we talk about, they do research into correctional ideas and we, we do that in class. Um, and, uh, what's the, the last thing to do? Architecture, services, um, hate human resources. What sort of people are going to work there? Um, and then correctional philosophy and they, and they, in their group sort of research these and talk amongst themselves and they start to develop a plan for their prison. Um, each week we look at different aspects of prison. So we, we read um, uh, work by prison guards uh, and identify problems. Why, is, why are these situations not just? Uh, and how would you correct them? Uh, we read uh, articles by inmates uh, and we, again, identify problems. Why is, this, um, why is this, why are these situations humiliating for inmates? Or, or, uh, and how would you correct that? And then we, we look at different examples around the world of different prisons. And we focus on Scandinavia, which has a sort of pretty impressive reputation for, for not only non-recidivism, but um, for a very different tack when thinking about prisons uh, and mm-hmm. thinking about prisons within prisons as places of human dignity. Um, and Dave is great with this because he's such a, I mean, he just knows all this stuff in criminology that he can talk to students about all the different uh, theories about punishment and everything. So it's a really good combination. And then the students sort of design these prisons. They do floor plans and 3D floor plans. They can use uh, online tools to do that. Um, and then talk us through what services the prison offers and everything. And they do it in a final presentation. Um, and we've done that a couple of times and it's worked really, really well. Um, and the students are really into it. They, 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 they often, and they have to write a self-reflective paper at the end saying sort of what they learn about justice, what they learn about prisons. And there's this sense of like students finding themselves in the material. A lot of them really change their ideas about what, a, what the, what, about what prisons should do and how they should function in a society. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it, it, it seems to me, I mean, I think the students would probably back me up on this, but it's quite transformative um, for them. And I just, just quickly, I suppose, I know I'm going on this a little too much, but sort of in a directed um, project-based learning, I've had students do projects about important items of food in their family. I teach a class on food. Uh, and uh, I did last year a, a class where students had to pick an important migratory journey in their family's history. And they have to sort of do historical research into uh, either the food item or um, certain types of migration or immigration. They have to interview family members about the meanings of these things. And so, and and, and all sorts of other things. And then they have to do a a presentation uh, at the end. And with the food item, they have to make the food and bring it in. Uh, (laughs) Again, we were in person, which is great. Um, But it's that, I find those really 
powerful because students find out things about their own families and history, and if they they t- learn to take their own history seriously, uh, a serious study, uh, serious things for academic study. And I, I don't think our students really always grasp that, but they are important parts of trends and movements in history. Um, and I think you get a lot of students at the end of those classes like, wow, I had no idea that like Sunday lunch was so important. Uh, was could tell me so much about my own family, my own traditions, um, how this food came about, how it, how its cultural meanings evolved, and things. So I think it's I think it's really useful. Students, I, I think project based learning can really help students become engaged. If you're looking for student engagement um, in courses, I think um, project based learning is a real boon to that. Over 30 different courses at John Jay, and I was just at UCASC a week or so ago when you introduced another four or five courses into the curriculum. <laughs> what motivates you um, when you're developing a course? Uh, change, I suppose. Um, I think, actually, I learned some, one of these things from you, actually. Uh, I think that, that the world changes. I think that... Um, our students change, who our students are change. Um, I think the college changed. I think you said to me that once that um, one thing you, you asked, you, were, you had one of your lunches and you asked us to think about something you wish you'd known uh, when you started at John Jay. And I don't know what the hell I said, something boring probably, but you said like you, the thing you wish you'd known is that the college was going to change every about five years in, in, in important ways. And I've, I've, I've always taken that actually as a kind of interesting way to think about the college. Um, and I think as the college changes and as our student body changes, as the world changes, we need to sort of rethink our curriculum uh, and not just rethink what we teach within established classes, but think about ways we can develop new classes. Um, I, I'm, I'm lucky in some respects. I don't know if everyone would think I'm lucky, but I think I'm very lucky because I teach really gen ed. I teach only gen ed. I don't teach in any mm-hmm. majors and I've never taught in any majors, um, which means I have a very different sort of mandate. Um, and one thing, I mean, in in the history of Gen, Gen Ed comes about, if I'm right, um, as a thing, I think it starts at Columbia University after the First World War. Columbia had this idea that uh, the world was changing and that it, its students needed a new course on the new world or a new series of courses about this new world. And it wasn't meant to be a major or minor, but it, but it was sort of be supposed to be general education. What is the world like now? Um, and so the idea was to wrestle with ideas in this new world. Um, and it's often where a lot of those sort of famous Columbia professors, Lionel Trilling, taught in it for years, I think. And I think of Gen Ed as, in some respects, sort of thinking of trying to create courses and teach courses around sort of contemporary ideas about the world. It's almost like citizenship studies. Like, what, what do we need to know um, mm-hmm. as people to live in this world? What sort of skills do we need? Um, what, how do we, what sort of ideas do we need to comprehend? Um, mm-hmm and wrestle with. And so I think that um, our our classes should change as the world changes. And I think, I mean, the world has changed so much in the last year or two. Uh, and we need to sort of, if we want our students to be able to graduate with sort of the, the intellectual and emotional skills to deal with a newer world, and the world will change in 10 years' time. And, you know, I think we need to rethink our curriculum. Um, and I, I think that everything changes and so curriculum should change if that makes if that makes sense it does it's wonderful um 
For people who haven't had the opportunity to teach in interdisciplinary studies, can you explain uh, what, and I think this is probably an impossible question, what a typical interdisciplinary studies class period looks like? Um, I, yeah, that is probably an impossible question. <laughs> um, I think the watchword to interdisciplinary studies, or ISP, what formerly was TSP, which has been at the college since 1972, um, is collaboration. Uh, it is collaborative planning, it's collaborative teaching. Two professors team up and develop a course that meets the learning outcomes and draws on both of their skill sets and their ideas. Um, it's not parallel play. That's the most important thing. It's, it's entirely collaborative. Um, I, I, I know other people that teach different courses at John Jay and at the Graduate Center, and it's so-called so team taught, but it's very much like you take weeks one through nine, and I'll take weeks um, 10 through 15 or something like that. Um, this is a, a wholly collaborative process. So you sort of, you sit down and you develop curriculum assignments, classes together in dialogue rather than individually. Um, and it's meant to sort of blend and mold different disciplines and different pedagogies and different ways of thinking about the world um, into a sort of vibrant and exciting experience for the students where and I think we, we've tended to try and do things like big ideas, not, not always by any means, but try and look at sort of contemporary social problems or uh, big issues through a very different lens uh, or, or a series of different lenses. So I think, you know, you think about something like war. War is, you can teach war as a literature professor. You can teach war as a, as a, a, war as a psychologist, as a sociologist, as an anthropologist, um, and as a historian, as all these sort of things. And I think if you reduce something like war or trauma or memory or any of these sort of big concepts in the world to one discipline, you're sort of missing a few things. Mm. Uh, and so I think um, if you want a fuller and richer sense of the world, it's important to look at things through different lenses, use different types of knowledge um, and different bodies of information um, to try and grapple with things. I don't think we're not going to solve climate change through one lens. We're not going to solve any of these big problems through one lens. Uh, we're not going to solve the problem of racism in this country by only using one discipline. We're going to use them all. And, and each discipline has different things to say about things. And so blending them is a useful way to think about. Well, it's certainly one way to think about the problems of the world. Again, I think ISP is also tries to be, again, not always successfully, but tries to be a place that does experiential learning. So, we, we engage, we try to engage with the real world. We try and engage with issues in the world um, and try and have think, students think about how to apply things they learn in the classroom to, to the world outside. The one thing I, I think I have most benefited from with ISP is that uh, when you teach with someone else from a, say, a different discipline or with a different pedagogy or a different way of thinking about students or student work, or that, you're always a learner. And so when I'm in an, in an interdisciplinary studies classroom, um, I'm learning from mm -hmm. my co-teacher. And my co-teacher is learning from me. So it's sort of, you, it's, it's, it's both exciting, but also humbling. It's like being back at college, um, mm -hmm. but, um, but you're also kind of in charge um, a little bit. But it's, it's, a, it's if, if, if you love to being at college, ISP is great because you're just always learning I've learned so much from the people I've taught with. I've, I've learned tons of things about pedagogy. I've learned so many different 
practices and exercises from teaching with other people. And I've learned so many interesting things about, you know, criminology, sociology, all sorts of disciplines I don't really have any background in, uh, but I've ended up teaching um, and really enjoying. In the spirit of making small adjustments to our teaching that can positively affect student learning, what one small thing do you do in your teaching that you think others could adopt and it would have a positive effect on student learning in their courses? Okay. Um, can I do two things? One big thing and one... <laughs> yes, you may. <laughs> um, I think that the most important thing that you can do generally um, uh, is to engage with other teachers, um, especially ones you know are interested in teaching. Uh, I have learned so much by being in a team collaborative teaching environment where we talk to each other, the department talks to each other about what, ex what exercises work, what pedagogies work, um, what types of assignments, what types of in-class activities work, uh, which don't. So there's always a dialogue happening in interdisciplinary studies about uh, the classroom. And, and, and I've talked with loads of people from outside of our department and you know, a whole realm. I mean, I've, I've talked with so many people, it's quite amazing, really. Um, and I, I learn things all the time. I swap ideas with them. Uh, I learn new texts that work really well. Uh, I learn new activities and practices. Um, and I think that this swapping and sharing of ideas is really important. Um, I think at John Jay, we tend to always observe down. So we, we usually see someone junior to us uh, teach uh, most semesters if, for doing teaching observations. We should observe up. We should, we should you know, go see other people teach. Um, go talk to other people about... Um, how, how their classes are different from ours. So I think, I, think, I think the TLC does a great job of this, but I think it would be great. I, I think great teaching gets done and developed in a dialogue with, between teachers rather than in isolation. Um, mm -hmm. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't even be I, – I, I certainly wouldn't be on this conversation if I hadn't been effectively in a department where that thing happens, that, where that really happens all the time. It's part of the rationale for the department. Um, and I would, I would still be probably quite a poor, I'd probably still be a flailing, quite poor teacher trying to make it all work, but without any real examples, uh, or ideas to follow. Um, mm. and so I think that that's a really important idea. It's certainly been hugely important in my life. Um, and I think the other thing I would say is, uh, which I, I both do to myself and I'm often told by, um, the people I teach with, uh, are you talking too much? Um, I, I, students learn by doing, uh, I think, and we all learn by doing. How do you learn to drive a car? You get in a, you get in a car. Um, and so I think the, the key to student learning is having students doing things. Um, and are students engaging with things, especially in classrooms? Are they Engaging with each other? Are they engaging with the texts? Are they engaging with information? Are they engaging with data? Are they discussing, debating, role-playing? Are they engaging with their pen through writing? Are they listening, responding to each other, uh, engaged in a dialogue with each other? Um, and, I, and I think they're not doing that if you're doing all the talking. And I think if you're doing all the talking, they're only listening, and usually listening is a very passive uh, way to think. And uh, a, a great mentor of mine who was in ISP for years and TSP, Dennis Sherman, um, told me 
15 plus years ago now. Um, good class, good class rule. Everyone talks, you should talk the least. Um, and that means that they're, they're doing the work. You, you don't want to be doing the work for your students in a class time. You want them to be doing the work. Um, and so shut up, <laughs> talk, talk less, have your students talk, talk more and have them be doing, have them, have them be debating, discussing, writing, engaging with each other and with the ideas. You're trying to be more of a sort of conductor, uh, than a, than a musician in a classroom, I think. So, um, and you know, the great thing about team teaching is that I, especially in the pandemic where everyone's on zoom, you occasionally get a, a private text, stop talking. <laughs> Richard Ha, winner of the 2021 distinguished teaching prize. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Alison. This has been great. Thank you so much.